0: the carousel price for wednesday november 15th 2023 we're coming to you from the gogo sports studio built by arbor lee here at the iconic wall center downtown vancouver and if you're heading downtown to a game call the wall and make it a staycation 604-331-1000 that's the Carson alongside blake price grace s hitting switches conducting things in this show presentation
1: Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Kia in Surrey has EVs in stock. You can check out the brand new Nero EV with rates from 6.49%. You want something in a uh, very functional hatchback. How about the Kia Seltos? Go check that one out right now. Take it for a test drive at Applewood Kia in Surrey. Get rates from 4.99%. It's all good at Applewood.
0: Poll question today. Most likely to be in the Canucks Ring of Honor. Beau Horvat, JT Miller, neither. Both, you can vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter and YouTube. And, uh, well, we kicked this around a little bit with Bo and then a little bit with JT, so we thought, let's put it all together. Look, if Miller keeps up this pace and finishes out his contract with the Vancouver Canucks, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the Ring of Honor. Ditto if he has some team success before leaving. So I think Miller is a, a worthy vote here. I can also see neither. I know a lot of people um believe the ring of honor is already too broad. Yeah. But I mean you eventually you have to
1: just acknowledge greatness. An all-time mm-hmm. leader and you're right. Never you know what I, if you do the math. Um JT Miller let's say he doesn't finish finish off his career. Let's say you know as you get to the end of that contract he actually gets traded with a couple years left to go. Hmm. He only needs to average 50 points over the five years that he would be here mm-hmm. for him to climb all the way up into, well, right now would be seventh, or sixth, pardon me, in all-time scoring. You'd think Elias Pettersson would be staying ahead of him, so that would bump him down to uh, to seventh. But if you're seventh all-time, mm-hmm. are you not up there in the ring of honor? Gredin is currently seventh all-time, and
0: he's there. Burray. Linden, Naslin, Sedin's, they're yeah. all there. I mean, when you start to hang with that crowd, it's undeniable. You're too good to ignore. Yeah. I mean, the. Mm-hmm. And with Bo, I mean, obviously, I thought he had a, a shot at it had he stayed a Vancouver Canuck. The problem is he was a Vancouver Canuck during one of the darkest eras of the franchise. Yeah. And I commend him for standing up there and putting on a brave face night after night, day after day. I mean, I think we sometimes forget what this guy was asked to answer about. Now, I think when you're an early
1: franchise... There was no
0: fixing Jake for Tannen. There were questions that came to Bo about Jake for Tannen and his off-ice
1: activities. When you're a 20-year-old franchise with no success, I think you find reasons to fet players. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but, I mean, hey, you know, Stan Simil at least did have a Stanley
0: Cup run under his belt. You know, there's yep. there's a reason why, you, why you'd why celebrate players like that. And, again, there wasn't much history to the franchise when Stan got here and when Sta- Stan finished his career.
1: Right. So, again, you, you sort of do want to just, you know, uh, nod to your history, even if there's mm-hmm. no high marks. But I think that now that they've been to three different Stanley Cups, I think we've realized where the bar is now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you do need moments what are the Bo Horvat moments? And, again, make – The bubble say, for sure. I'm going to say this in all caps mm-hmm. here, folks. This is not a slag on Bo Horvat. I'm just saying to get to these levels with the modest numbers now that he has because he's way down the list for all-time scorers for the Canucks. He's um what, what are the Bo moments? It's the bubble, mm-hmm. a pan, like, a, like a pandemic-created playoff weirdness. Mm-hmm. Or I think he did create some memories at the rate that he scored at before he left last, last season. Last year. Mm-hmm.
0: But those are, but those again, are, those for are the not two like empty,
1: yeah. hollow, and he, and he couldn't finish the season because he right. was traded. So it's sort of there's no final chapter
0: to that story. So, which is no fault, um, again, no fault to his own. But and he, he did not want to be traded. So I, I've I've read some of the Bo comments going into today. Uh, When you're told one thing and the opposite happens and stuff like that, a lot of stuff that went on obviously didn't sit well. I I don't dispute him from feeling... I I don't... He's allowed to feel aggrieved by that. By the same token, management is allowed to change its mind. I mean, if it indicated to Horvat in his camp they wanted to get a deal done, and then they signed J.T. Miller, and then they looked around at their cap plate and another shitty team and thought to themselves we just can't go on like this. We need a right shot defenseman more than we need depth at center ice. That, that is a fair conclusion for management to draw. In fact, the early returns or that that was the correct Mm -hmm. conclusion. So I understand feel Bo feeling upset about that. I also understand where management was coming from. You know, that's one of those things where, you know, life and pro sports isn't always fair. Uh, The quote about just the way everything went down beforehand with all the media stuff and how myself and my family were kind of treated definitely stung a little bit. I love the city, the people, and the fans. And I can also understand why Bo would have felt giving his heart and soul, being out there as a shield, taking the bullets for so much incompetence around him, deserved a contract extension. Again, completely understand that point of view. Completely understand why it didn't come. One of those matters where life and professional life isn't always fair. Um, did note that he uh, talked about the great start that the Canucks are off to, and mentioned Hughesy and Petey and Besser. Those and who he didn't mention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we'll hear what. And we're going to hear from yeah uh, from those players. In yeah. fact, let, let's. Let's hear from them now, and then let's move on to discuss. Here's Elias Pedersen on the reception that Bo Horvat deserves. I mean, first I hope they don't boo him. Uh, I think he's been uh, uh, he's been giving it all. I don't know how many years he played there—nine, I think. Uh, might be wrong on that, but he's he's always been a good teammate. Uh, it's sucksy he's not playing with us anymore, but uh, ever since day one I got in here. Um, He's always helped me, and uh, always been a guy I could talk to. Uh, my first years, my English wasn't the best, but uh, I mean, he always was. it was always a guy I can talk to whenever. So, um, yeah, great hockey player, but a uh, better person. From the outside looking in, it was very gracious that Bo Horvat, who really was the guy on this team, made way for Elias Pettersson. Recognized, okay, I'm playing with genius here. He's going to get the first line minutes. Did you hear even a no whisper of? Jealousy, envy, nose out of joint,
1: none of that. I think Bo Horvath knew what he was. I think Bo Horvath knew he wasn't going to be a top 10 scorer in the National Hockey League. This guy could be. Right. um, I'm okay hitching my wagon to this guy. Also,
0: I think he wanted to win. Yeah. So I think he was like, yeah, bring on this skinny Swedish kid. He's the real deal. Mm -hmm. Here's Quinn Hughes on his former captain, the new captain on the former captain. I
1: think the reaction should be... um you know, really good, and I think people should welcome him and celebrate him on his return, and he put in nine really good years here, and he was always solid, never complained, was a great leader, just put in his work, and um, someone that everyone can kind of go to if they needed to talk to someone. You know, but it wasn't always the easiest years, and he always, you know, stepped right in front of it, so, um, yeah, he should be welcomed, celebrated, and then, um, you know, after all that, we hopefully can get two points.
0: And what I love about that is That very much sounds like a prepared answer from the captain, and I would bet my bottom dollar that that answer is a testament to Bo Horvat and what Quinn Hughes saw from his captain for a number of years. Hughes wasn't the most mature guy when he got here, and you know, the old Gillis line, we bring them in here at 19, 20, 21 years old and expect them to get everything right. Most people aren't equipped emotionally, maturity-wise, to get everything right, but I hear an answer like that and I think to myself, Quinn was taking notes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he I think he got a good look at, and you're gonna put your own twist on it. Mm-hmm. But you you see what like Bo's a good foundational captain. Like a good sort of yes. you know, good, good word. Good mm-hmm. cornerstone kind of guy. you know, he's not going to be uh hellfire and brimstone kind of captain, but he's also not gonna be quiet. Mm-hmm. And it, it was sort of like, hey, there's a baseline there. That's a good baseline. I'll put my own little spin on it, but I want to have a little bit of that in what I do. And I think Quinn Hughes has sort of shown that. I think Quinn has a is willing to veer into slightly riskier makes it sound lascivious, and I don't mean that. Just, he's, he's willing to add a little bit more personal touch to his comments, a little less cliche than Bo. Yep. But he's also not going to get crazy with it, and I think he learned that from Bo, too.
0: Much was made Miller versus Horvat in the dressing room, and as a decision facing management, here is J.T. Miller on Bo Horvat.
2: Oh God,
1: I'm not going to dip my toe into that basket. I mean, obviously there's a lot of rumors and stuff, but I mean he was a
3: great teammate, a uh, really great friend, and a really good person. So at the end of the day, no matter what happens, a uh, response in the rink, I think, in the room, we all know what kind of guy he is.
1: Yeah, nice comments.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, dip I toes mean, in stop, baskets. Stop short of. Telling the fans what to do, as opposed to the other two.
1: Yeah, yeah, but he called him a good friend, and all. I mean, I don't think there's much there. There, he said mm-hmm. all the right things. So,
0: and look, um, we uh, we talked about this on yesterday's show. Put out a video with regards to you know, give me the reason why you'd boo here. Like, I, I just don't understand why you'd boo. I, I understand some, and look. If you're offended by the comments about how UBS Arena was a better environment than Rogers Arena, hey, fair enough. That's a reasonable conclusion. You pay your ticket. You're allowed to boo. Good guys versus bad guys. Sports is tribalism. Mm -hmm. But beyond pure tribalism, and if you truly think he was trying to diss the fans of Vancouver last year... Okay, but beyond that, you know, give me the reason why you'd boo here. Like, what more could you have wanted from your captain? Um, I realize he plays for the wrong tribe now. I realize a lot of fans view hockey players as two-dimensional media images, not three-dimensional human beings, um, such as life and the uh, screenification of our world, and it's only getting more pronounced. Um, so if you want to boo, so be it. You know, boo. Not that I agree with this, but I think the the common themes from fans is that he cheated for offense. He only cared about individual goals in a contract year. He wanted to get paid and He's you know, the pow- power the whole- play merchant. He wasn't trusted enough defensively on the penalty kill, yada, yada. So, and, and if you do believe that Bo horvat did not give you his all as a hockey player then again so be it in terms of he cheated for offense the whole team cheated for offense for several years there
3: yeah
1: but he cheated for offense he scored all of his goals on the power play
0: yeah well, like that's You're not mm-hmm. cheating
1: when you're standing in the bumper spot. Exactly. People sniping th- goals. People
0: thought he was cherry-picking, waiting for an outlet pass at the blue line. No, like, stop it's, it. It's so much recency bias. It's just people are sensitive mm-hmm. about that sour, I'll tell you that for free comment yep. he made at the yep. end of it. And they're excluding everything from before. And huh. I think the other thing that was uh, poignant about that comment is that the truth hurts. And particularly Absolutely. when the messenger is somebody who was once beloved. And the
1: Islanders were surfing a, a, a bit of a, a high wave there mm-hmm. in the middle part of the season. Here's the unfortunate part for Bull Horvat. Uh, a loss tonight to the Canucks, who put them at 5-7-3 on the year. Right now they are scoring just over two goals per mm-hmm. game. Um, it, it, there's a very a non-zero chance here that Bull Horvat's New York Islanders get booed off the ice here sometime soon. Yeah. At their brand-new arena. Well, they're tough fans there in New York. Right. So any further stumble here by the owners, Bo Horvath's going to be
0: right back to where he was, a team struggling to score, mm-hmm. and on the outside looking at it. Now, him. I'll say this. I thought he would be a better defensive center. I thought he would be a better penalty killer. He did not quite get to the level on those facets of the game that I think we all thought he would. I would argue he may have exceeded the offensive potential. I, I think that they, some thought he had. He didn't have the lateral career. movement to be a um, to be a, a
1: perfect defensive center, right? Like he he thinks and plays so straight, straight lines, lines yep. that I don't think. And this is not to say mm-hmm. he doesn't have a good hockey IQ. I I think it's just about vision, right? Like there's a there's a vision. I think he does intellectually know what to do, but his that, bull but, rush. Yeah.
0: But that I was going to say. If he's a running back, he's a between the tackles power guy. He wasn't going to dance on the outside. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And so
1: that just wasn't his game. And it doesn't mean he's not a useful player. Yeah. I think you'd have Bo Harvard on your team any day of the week as long as you had other players that do the right, the other things, you know. At at 8 million, would you, though? Given Um, his current production? I think you could construct a roster in which that makes sense. Yeah. But. but yeah, you'd have to have other pieces in place again, contributing ELCs and all that sort of stuff. So it it uh, I you know it's a little bit much. If he's your two C though or one C, and he you know right now he is contributing. People forget what a one C and and there's a lot of stats guys on social media that can walk you through this. Like a seventy five point player, people think oh that's a good say. No, that is first line production. Believe it or not, in the National Hockey League, there are not a lot of eighty plus point centermen. They just aren't. So that is a first-line production. It's it on
0: track for 70 or 69 yeah. this year. Bo.
1: So that's he's a, he's a one small
0: 2C mm-hmm. centerman. He is. But, to, to the charge that he wasn't a good leader, and this is the one that baffles me the most, through his actions and through his words, he led. That is the extent of his agency. Mm-hmm. If people don't want to follow the example or listen and execute, that's on them, not Bo. And again, there were a lot of players who came through here who weren't the most serious professionals. And I think Bo was frustrated by that. And I can understand that frustration. Here's the other thing I want to throw out the two of you. We sort of live in the age of the anti-hero now. Is that fair to say? Explain. Well, Villain. I think, I think more and more people have a mistrust of media and of all the images that they're delivered on a daily basis. And for people who try to be as perfect as Bo tried to be, the public doesn't always trust that veneer. Russell Wilson would be a good example here too. Oh, but I think there's a genuineness
1: there with Bo that there wasn't with Russell Wilson. Okay, I think I think people can see but, through the
0: genuineness. Uh, but what I'm saying is, I think people may assign him Russell Wilson characteristics. That it wasn't all an act; it was mm-hmm. a veneer. I, I, He's I think, trying to be too perfect.
1: Ah, uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you examples. Is he buttoned up? Sure, he is. Mm-hmm. But but trying to be—I mean. Being careful your No one with could possibly words.
0: be that perfect. No one could possibly be that prim and proper. There's got to be more of this. I don't trust it. Mm. I
1: think people found him boring. I don't think them. I don't think they found him disingenuous like they mm-hmm. did with Russell Wilson.
0: Because R- Russell was just so smarmy, and now, Bo was never smarmy.
4: Well, you,
0: you say that, but I still think there are a lot of people who would defend Russell Wilson in Seattle and beyond. That's a small group, but do they you, exist? Do you think
1: so? Yeah. In terms of um, that, that sparminess veneer? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think, think so. the,
0: um, no, I see, I think nationally there would be more people on Team Russell Wilson than perhaps hear us because we've heard so many Seah- Seahawks badmouth him.
1: Well, I think also though, if you're, in the, if you're outside the, the local market though, you only get one third of, you only maybe catch a third of
0: whatever's Fair. being said. So it just doesn't seem like,
1: Inundation.
0: Well, so let me go back, and there were people, even media members, after Roberto Luongo's ca- um, captaincy, who thought Ryan Kessler should be the captain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ryan Kessler. I don't remember me. I saw that from the fans, from uh, a certain segment of the fans. I no, there were that. even media members really? oh, over Henrik Sedin. Heart and soul and, and look, gave it his all. I understand That certain people identify, and perhaps, I I don't think this is just um, a part of hockey culture. I think it goes beyond, and thus the anti-hero observation. But I think there has long been a segment of hockey culture that likes the rascal. Oh, and I think everybody, every Uh, team likes to have a rascal on on their team. The villain. But same folks who root for the Oakland Raiders back in the day, right? The rule breaking out. I think there's a segment of hockey culture that loves that edgy player who sometimes goes over the line, shows us their imperfections, as opposed to the guy who's trying to... Not show you a single imperfection. But when do you like get behind that and identify with that? When do you like the bad cop? When it's alongside
1: the good cop. So I don't think it's an instead of thing. I think it's in in, uh, like a really good ingredient to have. I think you want a Mm -hmm. rascal on your team, but not necessarily as the face of the team or instead of the granite block captain
0: who you can lean on. Dependable, reliable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's get to Coach Talkett here. They're going to play without Carson Susie. He's week to week, and no, he's well. He's six to eight weeks now. They've officially come out now today mm-hmm. and said
1: six to eight weeks.
0: He's gone. So that that sounds very fractuary uh, mm-hmm. after blocking that shot. Here's Coach Talkett on Susie's loss and how they'll be able to maintain.
4: Yeah, it kind of sucks because I thought his game the last three four games. He's been him and Mize have been coming together like as a really good pair for us. So you know it sucks, but. 82 games are going to get injuries, and we've been fortunate on the injury bug uh, some parts of our of our lineup. But you know it, it, that's that's where the depth's got to come. You know that's where Abbotsford comes into play, where you know you're going to need some depth to to fill in holes.
0: And as we talked about yesterday, uh, Hirose is the call up here. He doesn't require waivers. Um, well, Lannon was an option, but. Well, Lannon also um, nursing something, so Hirose is the call, and of course Hirose was the call coming out of train camp as well. Well, if you're listening to this
1: post the start of the game, you'll probably have the answer to this, but I'll point this out to Tyler Myers, did not step on the ice for practice yesterday, did not step on the ice today for the game day skate today.
0: Um, You hope it, for the Canucks sake, it's not too mm-hmm. – regulars out of the lineup Hoaglander got rinsed yesterday he'll be a healthy scratch again here's coach on Hoaglander
4: well I I uh, just you know there's about three or four guys that are going to be fighting for that spot you know uh, you know I'm not going to have him sit in the shelf much but uh he's also I, you know like I love Nils but he's got to be reliable you know that Toronto goal was a big goal that you know, he made two big mistakes for us on that goal. And he had, you know, I like the other end, but he's got to make sure that we can rely him, uh, him in the defensive end. And that's really going to come down to some guys game to game. Unfortunately, we got healthy, because some healthy guys, we got some guys in Abbas are knocking for those positions too. And that's a good thing.
0: We were talking last week about whether he's done with the healthy scratches. 15 games in, where are you on Hoaglander?
1: I think uh, we're. You know, you wish that he'd be an everyday guy, but if he's an eight-games-out-of-ten-games guy, that's still progress for him rather than being an American leaguer. Um, and finding consistency is is hard. And when you're in a bottom-six position, you're more replaceable. You just are. And so you've got to show that, that consistency um, every time you get the opportunity. And if you slip once, well, then you might sit for a game. So I, I, to me, it's, it's not the end of the world. You just you hope that he now strings together another four or five gr- uh, good games in a row that, that
0: shows the coach, okay, I understood what I did wrong. Stinnika cleared waivers, incidentally, uh, to make room for Hirose. Let me ask you this then on Hoaglander, because we have heard anecdotally that he's a player that is attractive on the NHL marketplace. You've now lost Susie. For six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. You were already hunting a defenseman and a right shot defenseman prior to Susie's entry. Does this make you more likely to include Niels Hoaglander in a deal to bring that right shot defenseman here?
1: Uh, Niels Hoaglander has always been a tradable asset for me. I've just always questioned
0: how much actual value he's got out there. I have no, no do, doubt. Do you think they would be more inclined now, given that you've given him 15 games under Talkit and he's still being healthy scratched? um
1: yeah i don't think they have i, I i've never
0: everything they did last year was along the lines of protecting the asset yeah i don't
1: think that they are necessarily tied to the player i think they want to make sure they don't squander an asset for sure but i don't think that they are so in love with you know so
0: glad that they can't fathom that okay three on three overtime changes Frank Saravelli reporting that Colin Campbell and the GMs discussed the idea of changing the rule to limit teams from continually looping back and regrouping in the three on- three session. Couple of potential solutions here. Once you cross the red or blue line, can't go back out again, or a shot clock. They're going to discuss this. It's table to march. We're obviously going to play this year under the current rules, but do either of those proposals tickle your fancy. The the problem with both of these proposals is
1: that they involve a likely stoppage of play, like
0: which you know, is like, counterintuitive to what you're trying, trying to, to achieve.
1: do. so you're trying to accelerate the play here, but if if you haven't had many looks, okay, you circle back. Oh no, three seconds left on the on the shot clock. Matt, are you more likely to? give the puck away, send it up the middle of the ice, let them steal the puck and go the other way, or are you more likely to, okay, you caught me. I've got no, uh, the, the cl- shot clock has expired. Now we have a controlled start for you or a face-off or something to that effect. That's still, that's a defensive play. Once, you've, once you're down to four seconds left, but you don't see an obvious uh, path to a shot on goal or a chance, you'll just skate it all the way back. Let the shot clock expire and give them the puck. That's better than
0: you forcing something, creating an odd man rush the other way. right? Like it, that, that is interesting. I'm not sure it would play out that way, at least in the early going. I think there would be a lot of compulsion to shoot. I'm open to ideas here. I don't necessarily think it's broken. Well, the Canucks were asked about this to a man
1: almost today uh, after the game day skate and, and after practice yesterday. And they said... I, What's wrong with it? Like the, the, I love Pedersen's line. If you're upset about the amount of possession that one team has, how about you
0: take possession? Yeah. You have agency on this. Go get the puck. Like, I still think three-on-three three overtime is thrilling. I, I realize I'm seeing more regrouping than when we first saw the format. Do,
1: do you think 10 minutes of overtime is any longer than – Tacking on a shootout, and do you, like, do you think we consummated a, a it's goal? It's not much longer. I,
0: I, I think, also don't mind the shootout, though. I know I'm in the minority there. I think it's a
1: worthwhile risk. I'd rather go two. I'd rather go ten minutes of five on five or three on three. Pardon me, and then
0: just no shootout. But if you're going ten minutes, you certainly can't have stoppages for regrouping. Right? No, no. You keep it as is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Frank Corrado has a very interesting take on this. A little later on in the program, football. And I like this from the Canadian Football League. No blackout dates starting next year. The CFL is returning to its balanced schedule. That means every team will play in every city. Commissioner Ambrosi acknowledging that it was a cost-saving measure coming out of the pandemic. Of course, it is exceedingly expensive to travel football teams. You need a lot of plane tickets. You need a lot of hotel rooms. You need a lot of per diem. And yet, in a nine-team league, it is far too much to ask the paying public to see the opponents that they're seeing, the number of times they are seeing. It. Yeah. There was a stretch last year, Blake, where Hamilton and Toronto played each other four times in five weeks. That's just too much. Ridiculous. Every Plus, when you do get a star in the CFL, not that there are a ton of gate attractions, but you should be able to see that player in every market every season not to mention the fact you just want to see every team in every market if you're a season ticket holder in particular each and every year i mean there's a lot of cross-pollination let's remember in the canadian football league right like we got a lot of saskatchewan fans here we got a lot of transparent ontarians here you know you want to see your team in every market so i was happy to see that um from the national football league Talked about the quarterbacks yesterday. One of the guys we didn't talk about because he probably hasn't hit his potential, Deshaun Watson, and now he's done for the year with a broken shoulder. The poor Cleveland Browns wow. cannot catch a break. They are uh, a hellacious defense. And look, you know, they've they've played okay without him in spurts this year. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it continues, and we got a good tell-me-I'm-wrong for to the people we go on Friday with regards to what we were talking about in the NFL these days, that do you have the depth and quality of depth at the quarterback position? And secondly, when you no longer have running back stars, I do think you're eating away a little. I mean, you're certainly making it less interesting for me when the Quarterbacking dearth is upon us. And when not many teams really prioritize the running game, create stars at running back or have effective ground games to compensate for the quarterback not being at the quality or at the level of some of the best in the game.
1: It's been a a relatively uninteresting NFL season. Mm -hmm. And not often have we ever said that.
0: No. If ever. No. And really... The brand is so strong, Blake. Oh, there will be no lasting effect, I wouldn't think, unless this continues. Yes. Yes. I mean, they've got time here. The one good thing about building the behemoth that they have built is that even if you do suffer a little bit of bleed, and they haven't, you're not in any kind of crisis position or anything like that. You're not going to have franchises crying poor or anything like that. Every NFL team is profitable. We told you several weeks ago, summer is profitable to a level of a half billion dollars a year. Summer, merely $80 million profitable per year. So do not cry for the NFL commercially. I, I just do wonder, because it is very much an environment, and we have seen this in the past with Roger Goodell, where when you're in the forest, you don't see through the trees. I do wonder whether the league... And its member clubs sort of are fully recognizing what's going on here. Okay, hot take for you.
1: Seeing the lack of development done by NCAA
0: teams. The NFL starts a minor yep. league. Well it's been it's been positioned in the past, and sometimes it's been positioned in the past with an attachment to the Canadian Football League. Well,
1: they could they could give the CFL a ton of money to go to four downs and to change the field cuz I don't think they're going to give the I don't think they're going to do that with the CFL playing a different game. No. But if you if the, if the NFL went to the CFL and said, "Here's bleep ton of millions,
0: but you got to go to four downs, you got to go to our field." So, three problems with that. Yeah. Number 1, you no longer have the product that the Canadian Football League sells and that we know mm-hmm. millions of Canadians enjoy. Are proud of, yes. Number two, you now have the attachment that you are a minor league. Mm-hmm. That is now official, right? Everybody knows the CFL is the second best league. Yeah, But minor league is an entirely different designation. Well, also, and then number three... CFL
1: fans have also gotten away with... Um, Saving their own pride in a lot of ways with with that by saying we're a different we're a different yeah style we're a different
0: brand exactly style of play exactly. so it, it's you can't compare then number three now you've got the quarterbacking problem wow. because the one thing about the CFL field because of its breadth it allows the and because of the motion and because of a lot of things the yard off the ball all of it in concert allows the quarterback. Typically, a little bit extra time and a little bit of a bigger window to deliver the football. And an emb- You can put the a little more air under the ball and let the receiver run under it. In the National Football League, with that compressed field, especially with the uh, athletic ability of defensive players these days, mm-hmm. that ball's got to be on a rope. You're yep. talking microseconds from the time that the quarterback cocks his arm back to throw it, to where it needs to be the extremely mobile
1: quarterback with the average arm is deified here right and is right viewed skeptically there
0: oh well they, they that quarterback really has not had a ton of success no nope. at a championship level no nope. in the nfl no it's one of the things that you could still argue holds back lamar jackson a little bit he is an extraordinary Athlete and a great quarterback. But he has not yet proven in the playoffs that he can sit in the pocket and deliver the ball into those tiny windows with you know the rush bearing down that the game requires at the highest level to win a championship. Talk to the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. I mean, so yes, I I, I don't see that happen. If, if I thought some of these Spring Leagues were supposed to do this, but you look at the quarterbacks that these Spring Leagues have been using. They ain't it, Blake. It's the hardest position to play in all of sports. It may just be that there are only a dozen people on planet Earth at any given time who can play it at a high enough level. See,
1: here's the thing: if you collapse the two competing, um, which they're actually doing, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the two off-season leagues, and you have um, two NFL teams share one minor league team, and 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 so you have sixteen right minor league teams around, mm-hmm. you know, 49ers and yeah, the and Bears I, share one of them. And, right. and, and 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 so you each get a quarterback
0: down there, you each get a blah, blah, blah. And and and, and, and then you got to treat it like minor league baseball. You were not necessarily out to win. You were out to develop. Yeah, So you have to make sure and you've got to be able to put quarterbacks in that league and get them reps. Of course, the problem with that, Blake, unlike baseball, Unlike hockey, even, in that sport, you're putting your health on the line each and every snap. Okay, but it, it, So you are going to have more injuries to the guys you were hoping to develop, and those injuries are going to make it more difficult for those guys to ever get to the level that you're hoping to get them. Okay,
1: we're too deep on this. One last question. Yes. Would an NFL coach rather have the practice roster guys under his tutelage or down playing with somebody well, else's eyes on them?
0: football coaches are by nature control freaks, so yeah. I'm sure they would say within their program. Uh, also, you know, football coaches don't tend to do well with new ideas yeah, and change. Yeah. Today's menu brought to you by Greta. Greta, great spot to catch the game throughout the season. Playoffs, place to chill the offseason. Frankie Corrado is going to stop by. He's a roommate with Bo Horvat. He'll tell you about the Bo he knows. We'll also talk about JT Miller and three-on-three overtime. Harmon Dial of the Athletic and Canucks conversation stops by. How sustainable is this Canucks start? Nikita Zadoroff as a trade fit. Chris Taniff as a trade fit. And what Carson Soucy out and Akito Hirose in means for the Canucks. To carry some price from Wall Center Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And at Applewood Infinity of in the Richmond Auto
1: Mall, you can get the QX50 finance from 1.99%, plus no charge. Winter tires on select trims. Tis that time of season. Get all ready, top of whistler looking better. Mm. Check it all out, because it's all good. It Applewood.
0: Poll question today, most likely to be in the Canucks Ring of Honor. Bo Horvat, JT Miller, neither vote neither, neither or both. You can vote at the Price on Twitter and on YouTube. Joined now by former Vancouver Canuck TSN hockey analyst Mr. Frank Corrado. How are we doing Frankie?
2: Good, good. How you guys doing? Good. Fantastic.
0: You were roommates with Bo Horvat once upon a time in Vancouver. Yeah. Tell us about the Bo Horvat you know.
2: Oh, man, I'm such a fan of Bo Horvat. I I know it's, you know, it's one of those things right now where people are getting ready to boo him or not to boo him. I see stories on Twitter of people saying, you know, Bo was such a good guy when he was here, all that kind of stuff. I'll put it to you this way. Bo Horvat wanted to be a Vancouver Canuck and nothing else for the rest of his career. And I think that speaks volumes to the commitment that he had to the city, to the team. And I know we talked about it last year. Uh, But he really was molded by some of the best players and people to ever roll through that organization. I'm obviously talking about the Sedin twins, among others. Um, It's unfortunate the way things ended out, but Bo's a classy guy. He's such a good person to be around. He's always been a great teammate. He uh, He showed a level of maturity from such a young age upon getting drafted into that organization, and he just grew into this um, you know, grew into this star for the city, um, star for the team. Obviously, the captain, you know, he bared a lot of responsibility through some tumultuous times there. Um, to be honest with you guys, I can't say enough good things about the Bo Horvat that I know.
1: He's he's so old school that I think that's that was the problem for him, wasn't it? That, that they didn't sort of and this is over the top, but they didn't deify the captain part of it and say, okay, we got to lock this guy up. Like, I, I think he thought as the captain of the Vancouver Connects, it that they would just fall over themselves to lock him up long-term for the rest of his career.
2: Yeah, and you know what? I don't even know if, 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 if it's fall over themselves. I just think it's like, just give it the time of day. Like, make it a priority. Why why did your captain have to be a, a non-priority when when you're going down this road? And I think the thing the thing that rubs me the wrong way about it is, you know, he was a fairly young captain when he was named captain, although he had been in the league for a long time and experienced a lot. He, had, he was surrounded by incompetence within the organization. And it's not just Bo that fell victim to that. There were other people, we knew, you know, the scouting staff led by Judd and guys like Dan Palango. Like, those were guys that kind of fell by the wayside here, like good people who did a very good job. And Bo was one of those guys that, you know, in, in a time where the team lacked any kind of direction uh, of where it was going or what it wanted to be, Bo had to go out there and face the music every single night. He had to answer all the questions, the tough questions. And, you know, I, I think they they got their flowers when they deserved it, obviously in the bubble, and, and Bo was spectacular there. Outside of that, I have a hard time coming up with moments in time in Bo's tenure where things were just going fantastic for the Canucks, where, where it was like you just roll out the captain and it's like, Things are going great. We're all doing well. Bo had to answer to a lot of incompetence within that organization. So I feel for that. And within that, he still always wanted to be a Canuck. Like, I don't think that was ever, that that never wavered for him. He always wanted to be a Canuck. He always wanted to be in this city. And that's, you know, when you see the way things played out and he goes to the island and I I know everyone talks about that post-game interview, for me, that's not directed at fans. No player is ever going to direct that at fans. He was loved by the fans when he was there. Um, he, he loved doing things in the city. He always committed his time to helping out with various, uh, you know, charitable causes around town, which, which obviously is a prerequisite to, to being a captain. But when, when you're kind of, for lack of a better term, dumped on on your way out the door because of, you know, the, the incompetence around you, it's not a great feeling. Would he probably want a mulligan on on what he said post game? For sure he would. But um, he, you know what I think as a Canuck, he conducted himself very professionally and always wanted to be a part of that city and a part of that team.
0: We all thought him a goody two shoes. Early to bed, early to rise. Make sure he gets his. Make sure he gets his. Uh daily quotient of uh, vegetables uh was that the guy you know was he that sort of old school old soul no video team? games yeah no video games on the road <laughs> I don't
2: think like I think Bo's one of those guys that never took a day in the NHL for granted and I bet you he still doesn't I, he was he was so dialed in um you know like guys be trying to get him to go out is like whoa if Bo's going out like that's you know that's crazy you don't see that very often right like he's Very, very dialed in, very committed, um, took his his off ice stuff very seriously. um, And he was just like such a, I don't know, such a wholesome kind of guy, right? Like he was, you know, he was with his girlfriend and they were married and there was just like right from day one, they kind of just immersed themselves into what it means to be someone who lives in Vancouver um, and and for him as a player, what it means to be a Canuck. Um, And yeah, he was... He was such a good example, like you talk about role models and leaders, like he fit the bill for that perfectly if you're if you were a parent of a young kid, you could look at Bo and say, like, that's, that's a good example of what it means to be a a professional, professional hockey player, a great leader in the community, like he checked off so many boxes in that regard, like, and, and, and you can probably interview other guys that played with Bo over the years, and I, I'm pretty sure they would give you the exact same review.
0: Help us out with this then, Frankie, because this is what I see a lot of from the Canucks fan base. He was clearly a leader by actions. He was clearly a leader by words. How come more players didn't drink from what he led them to?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know. That's that's a good that's a good question. Obviously, if, if you're not privy to the dynamics of the dressing room, it's gonna be hard to answer that kind of stuff. I would say it's in hockey players' nature, especially ones that are uh, currently playing, to just kind of be tunnel visioned and focused on what you're doing and not necessarily feed into whatever narrative like you you don't see too many guys come out with bold statements. And and that's why when, when it does happen it's, it, it catches headlines. You know, I, I, I think of Quinn Hughes, you know, talking about the Tanner Pearson injury and the headlines that that caused because that was a very bold thing. Yeah. So, so no one comes out and has like this uh, glaring or or glowing review or whatever. I I understand what you're saying about drinking the Kool-Aid. But it's just one of those things where I feel like guys are just reserved. They're in their own world. They're doing their own thing. And you learn pretty quickly as a hockey player, regardless of who you play with, um, their stature in the league, people come and go every year. There's so much turnover every year. So your buddy leaves, your captain leaves. It's like, hey, it sucks for a bit, especially if, if you're close with the person, but someone else is coming in and you guys got a job to do and it's, it's go time and you don't really have time to think about it. I can't tell you like how many names of people I played with I have in my phone and I mean, we don't keep in touch on a regular basis, but if you reached out to someone, be like, "Hey, how's it going, man?" You could have a thirty-minute conversation on on how things are going. That's just just the reality of of the amount of turnover there is every year in the NHL within your team.
0: Well, I, I just, by way of follow up, was he too perfect, Frankie? Like, did people look at him in the room and go, oh, "You got to be kidding me!" Like, you know, this guy is just too straight, too straight. You know, too narrow, all yeah. that.
2: I don't. Know. I don't... See, I don't have a problem with that, personally. Maybe there are guys that look at that and say, you know, would like like to see a show a little more of a discombobulated side. Maybe. Maybe you're not so prim and proper for everything. I don't mind that. Like if I'm if I'm looking at a guy who's a leader, I want him to be that. I don't want him to be somewhat of like a an unfinished project. So I mean every everyone's got different taste. I think I think hockey players, you know, you you come across so many as as much as we seem so vanilla in front of the media, you come across so many different personalities within that. And so, yeah, not everyone's everyone's cup of tea, but if I'm looking at people that I want to be leaders, I want guys that are dialed in with what they do on an individual level and guys that I can look to in times where where games maybe aren't going well and it's like I don't know. That guy looks like he's dialed in. That looks that he he looks like he's he's ready to rock and he's in the fight. I I never got the sense from playing with Bo or being around Bo that he was a point the finger kind of guy. Like I think you guys used the term "old school" a couple times throughout this conversation so far. For me, Bo was the kind of guy where it's like things aren't going well. I'm taking that upon myself. Like that's that's an accountability thing that I think he had. And and like I said. You know, the incompetence that were, that was around him, the the tumultuous times, he wore that. You know, he wore that as a guy who wanted to hold himself accountable before holding the team accountable. That's not easy. Like, that that wears on you. And, you know, that that has effects afterwards.
1: The uh, the leadership, the the button-down leadership of Henrik and Daniel didn't seem to affect Kevin BX and Ryan Kessler's. It uh, didn't cramp their style anyway. So I think you can probably have – have both um the, the last piece the of the culture it...
0: changed a little bit the culture changed outside of the room for which, well we're, for in the age, we're in the age of the anti-hero oh here. yeah maybe um yeah. wow well, you know. well, it's, it's <laughs> exhausting, frankie rooting for the anti-
1: let, let's get let, let's get to the last piece the financial kay. piece of this and only Bo knows whether or not he would have accepted less than what he ultimately got with the new york islanders but does the economics even work here for Bo Horvat? He makes more than JT Miller does only by a smidge, but it is more, and it's one more year than JT Miller ultimately got as well. We know Philip Ronick's gonna be getting a raise, probably not above Quinn Hughes, but it's gonna be um it, you know it's gonna be up there, but not above eight point five, which is what Bo's costing anyway. So, you know, could you does something need to give? I mean, it had to be JT Miller or, or Bo, you would think. You would think. But is there, was there another way to wedge everybody in here and then still take care of defense, which, you know, of course, they wouldn't have Philip Ronick without the, the Bo Horvath deal?
2: No, it would have been very difficult. And I think when you're looking at these contracts now, you have to look at percentage of the cap. And I think Lou... Is, is brutally honest, Lou Lamorello. that is, when he said it's too long and too much money. Right. But but what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't wanna pay guys money, then have fun having no players and being a bad team every single year. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you do have to chew on it and you gotta pay guys what I guess their, their market value would be. And, and that's, that's what his market value was at the time. Now, I think there's gonna be a lot of like snap judgments based on the game tonight in your market based on how he performs as a New York Islander. And to that, I would say this. They're not a good team. Like, their numbers offensively are poor. Their numbers defensively are poor. Luckily for them, they have two very good goaltenders, and their goaltenders keep them in games. So if you're going to watch tonight's game and look at Bo, and I already know I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to see the tweets like, well thank god we kept JT Miller over Bo Horvat and, and you know hindsight all this kind of stuff and I'm, and I'm thinking Bo's still a very good player he's playing on a team where there's not much going offensively and if you were you know if you were to insert him back into the Vancouver lineup I imagine his offensive output would would be much better there's also something to be said for going through what Bo went through and being thrust into a different organization and what that does to your on-ice production like I know you know you go over there Things can go really well at the beginning sometimes. Like, I think both did tail off quite a bit towards the end of the year. Like, it got quiet there. It's just one of those things where if you were so locked into and so bought into a certain team and how things are going there in the city and all that kind of stuff, sometimes it is hard to get your, your kind of bearings going uh, and get that production back where, you know, where, where your new spot is. So, I would say, like, Let's caution a little bit here before tomorrow I got to see all the hot takes from hashtag Canucks Twitter.
1: But he's, he's on a good points pace on a terrible offensive I team.
0: I mean, a 70-point pace on a terrible team yeah, is uh, nothing to shake a stick at. The, the problem, if you're doing the head-to-head, is that you know Miller's turned into a point-per-game player plus, and this yeah. year, at the very well, least, the has turned into an low. excellent defensive like, player too. For- for
2: the Canucks, that softens the blow so much. The fact that Miller's really embraced this shutdown role center kind of guy. Like, if he wasn't that, then yeah, we'd be talking about Bo as is the, is the one that got away. But but credit to JT, and we talked about this last week, I believe. Like, he's really embraced what he's doing now with with, with this team. And that solves a lot of problems for them. Because if if, if that wasn't the case, there would be a, a glaring hole in the lineup.
1: The uh, just the momentum, are we ready to move on a little bit? Big, bigger focus here. The momentum of this team, Frankie, uh, th- that Toronto game was not a proud moment for them. the last two periods. They did not play oh, well. Oh, yeah.
2: I, I sorry. Do you remember that? I, know, I know you got to ask something. What'd you think of my Maple Leafs? What'd you think of them? <laughs> I know you guys don't watch them very often. What'd you think of them?
0: Um, I think they, they, had a, they had a nice night that night. Here, here's, here's why I don't watch them very often. I'm still working at 4 p.m., okay, Frankie? <laughs> I'm I don't spend hours. my work at 4 p.m. Pacific. Yeah, no, all I hear in.
2: all I hear coming out of Vancouver is that people in the East don't stay up to watch the Canucks. I'm just wondering if you guys watched the Maple Leafs so you had a chance to th- see them Saturday night. Mm-hmm. That was, by the way, that was their best game of the year. They saved it for
0: the Canucks. I think they should pay William Nylander $13 million per Woo. year. That's what I think. Whew, man. Uh, cap themselves out on willie nylander that's that's what i'm looking for I, I got
1: a lot of leaf fans in my mentions talking about how um the canucks schedule was soft and that they. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean it was it's still eleven three 3 and 1 i believe yeah. is better than 8 5 and 2. Fair. um it's simple math uh the canucks so the night after of course after having lunch served to them for the first time in a long time um, they sort of uh, just played a more disciplined game. It ends up being a 5-2 final on a crazy final few minutes, but it's a 3-1 game effectively. Um, does that tell you something that you need to know about, about this team, the ability to sort of rein things in after suffering a loss and just play a simpler game?
2: For sure. And I think, you know, sometimes when things are going well, as much as you don't want to admit this, you know there's going to be a game around the corner where you're like, man, it's just not going to go our way. It's just not going to happen. So that's, that's Saturday night in in, in Toronto. And I like the way they bounce back against Montreal. Montreal is one of those teams that's overachieving right now. And they're sneakily competitive every night. Like they gave Calgary a good run last night. They're just, they're sticky. They, you know, they don't give you a ton of freebies. So I credit Vancouver because they, they roll into that game. They, they take care of business. And it's one of those things too, where the Canucks usually do these trips on like two week intervals where they go, you know, rattle off like seven games in 14 days. It's kind of nice for them to do a a short little trip like that. Get your two wins, go home. Like it's a nice little change of pace, but yeah, I I would say that, you know, the ability to bounce back. And I think that, that obviously comes from the coaching staff kind of implementing a certain mindset and and game plan, as far as how we're going to approach things after a loss and not letting things compound. I think that's so important, right? Like within the game, you don't want mistake after mistake to compound night after night. Like let's, you know, let's put that behind us and, and get after it the next game. I think they did a really good job of that against against Montreal and, and that's a good road trip for them as far as the schedule goes. Like I understand like strength of schedule, still gotta win the games. Like you can you can lose any game any night in this league. We, we, yeah. you know Edmonton lost to San Jose, so you gotta play the games.
0: Well, and, and, and you know frankly, the, the schedule looked a lot more daunting before Edmonton started shitting the bed before Nashville. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's like right. we weren't talking about it being a soft schedule. At the beginning of the year, it's just you know, a lot of those teams, particularly San Jose, um, right. haven't been very successful. That it's the three Canuck versus play. Edmonton. If Edmonton is no, their exactly. normal selves. Exactly. You're you're in awe of their. Yeah. Uh, of their wins. Uh, lastly, um, what do you make of the three-on-three overtime proposal um, to either a shot clock or prevent teams from coming back out to regroup once they've uh, gained the blue line?
2: I I, so I like the uh, the regroup rule, like almost like the over and back rule in basketball. I'm a big fan of that, but I'm I'm preaching complete and utter chaos. That's where I'm at with this.
1: No offsides,
2: no offsides. I think we just go wild, wild west, because here's the thing. We're already playing a gimmicky thing. Three-on-three is gimmicky, is it not? We used to do four-on-four. We went to three-on-three. It's a gimmick. It's been a resounding success, if you ask me.
0: It's a tiebreaker. From from an entertainment point of view, it is outstanding, Frank. It's Uh, outstanding. But it's a
1: tie-breaking mechanism. It's not trying to replicate hockey. It's a tie-breaking mechanism. Other
0: sports have crossed... And other sports have crossed this threshold. Football, yes. we give you the ball at the twenty-five. Yes. Baseball, we're putting a runner on second right. base. So well, you're well so within the-
2: there. We're already there with the gimmicks. It's not realistic to play like three on three until someone scores with the way the rule. It's just not going to happen. I am personally still a fan of the shootout. I find it exciting. I know I'm in the vast minority there, yeah. but I think we get rid of offsides, maybe even get rid of icing. I don't care. But let's just make this complete and utter chaos and see how it looks. They used to do, actually, so when I was in junior hockey, the NHL used to do like a research and development thing where they invite a bunch of the draft eligible players and they bring people from the league and they run through all these kind of, you know, scenarios and make the young kids um, perform and do it, do that. Let's, you know, let's do like a three-on-three tournament with no offsides, no icing, see how things go. I'm all for this. I am banging this drum. Chaos.
1: Okay. So, I I, I like everything that you're serving up here, what's the penalty, though, if you take it past center? Because a lot of people have been like, okay, well, you don't want to blow the whistle and halt halt the momentum. Yeah. uh, Or or just make it a 50-50, you know, face-off. A lot of people have said, "Do you give them the pocket? Do you have to just give up possession? Do you, you just give try her- to
2: give up possession like beer league, like the old timers do?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one? I, 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 that's why. That's why I think you just get rid of the offsides.
0: Yeah, less. If you're I, I, so I'm with you on shootouts. You and me. It might be a club of two, but yes. I'm with you on shootouts. Mm-hmm. I'm here, I'm picking up what you're putting down on overtime ideas. I was getting a little worried for you when you started puffing out the Eastern media chest, but you brought it back to the wild, wild west, Frankie. <laughs> I Thank love it. Thank you for that. Thank you for today, more <laughs> next week. Look forward to it. See you guys. So and Price from Wall Center, presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags, the best and worst of twitter.com. And Mr. Price, lead us off. At J. Shannon,
1: HL. Patrick Kane, who's been training in Oakville, Ontario, is beginning the process of meeting with teams, hearing he met with the Toronto Maple Leafs today. This is on a day where, yesterday that is, where the Rangers officially were X'd out of this process. Sounds like Panthers and Leafs are making the most noise about this, although Red Wings getting some play as well. What about Buffalo? Buffalo needs him. That's, that's his hometown. Yeah. question is, will mm. they pay him what he wants? I suppose. But, yeah, they, they are so short on forwards right now. Buffalo is. It would make a lot of sense.
0: Well, they got injuries. Yeah. Good hey. collection of young forwards otherwise, but. Tage Thompson hurt last night. Yeah, exactly, adding to the problem. That was before. So you poked fun at this when it was first announced, and one thought maybe the NHL would just drop it. At D. Alter, David Alter, the NHL's initiative into digital collectibles, NFTs, will be released to the public today. Announced in 2022, NHL breakaway had been in beta. The replies on this are extraordinary because, of course, the NFT market isn't quite what it used to be. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a punchline. Mm-hmm. Some of the replies, what's next, an NHL MySpace account? When are they going to release their Pog collection? Can I download them off LimeWire? NHL beginning to work on purchasable ringtones. Will this be available on Internet Explorer? Also from Gary Bettman, the Titanic has struck an iceberg. All of it is perfect. Perfect. Oh, my goodness.
1: Like, how do why, why don't they just abandon ship? Yes. I know we were working on this, guys, but it's, the market thing but is. guess what? It ain't a thing anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. This league, our honestly. Rocks. They want so badly to be big league, and mm-hmm. they time and time again say, no, no, no. Let's look as small and as out of touch as possible. At the Dunk Central, Rudy Gobert thinks Draymond Green aimed to put him to sleep. But says Draymond isn't skilled at choking. This is after the set two last night. It looked like wrestling. Quote, he's grabbing me. He's grabbing me. He's grabbing me. But the choke wasn't good enough. Yeah, it wasn't enough for me to really have to go to sleep, but he tried. He tried really hard, but it wasn't good enough to where I felt like I was really in danger of falling asleep or something like that. It was a long time ago, and if he knew how to choke, it could have been way worse. It was a long time, pardon me. And if he knew how to choke, it would have been way worse. He tried to. His intention was to really take me out, and I kept my hands up the whole time just to show the officials I wasn't trying to escalate the situation. Even that quote sounds WWE.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. We tell you something, mean gene. <laughs> yeah. He tried, he tried, but his choke wasn't good enough. Nah, too weak, honestly. Uh, Draymond, he is just too full of something. Do you think it's a double digit suspension? You think you'll get 10 games or so? I yeah, mean, there's a lot of history there.
1: Yeah, and 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 the fact that he went like when you put the neck right in the V of your elbow, right. like that, like you can't. Like, that's not just, I was trying to restrain him. That's not just a headlock. And, and I'm not trying to hold him back. Yeah. You had his neck
0: in the V of it's your elbow. Yeah, it should be 10 games for sure. At Jason Back 82 of course, the curator of the BC Sports Hall of Fame, very sad to report the passing of one of BC's all-time great all-around athletes, Ted Hunt, a 1972 BC Sports Hall inductee who passed away Sunday at the age of 90. Ted was best known as one of Canada's best rugby players in the 1960s. But he also played for the BC Lions, was a dominant lacrosse player, winning two-man cups, and even an international ski jumper. He was also an accomplished golfer, caddying for the great Ben Hogan when he was young, later authoring several golf instructional books, and a playing partner of actor Sir Sean Connery. Patrick Johnson weighed in and said, a fascinating character from Vancouver's past, teacher-athlete uh, football rugby lacrosse and school board trustee. Talk about a life lived. Yeah. That's incredible. Renaissance man. Very much. I mean, like it's like BC's Jim Thorpe. Like yeah. just give him any stick, any ball, any sporting or athletic endeavor. And Ted Hunt was gonna rise to the top, you know, not to mention, boy, rubbing elbows with Sean Connery and Ben Hogan on a golf course. I'm wondering what that would have been like.
1: Sounds like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie or something like that, with a guy that just like did everything. Um, Yikes. Yeah, make it a CBC movie. Really?
0: Honestly? It's like our Forrest Gump. It's just right in the middle of all this history.
1: Finally, for me at Silverwood vs. Thread. I'm a criminologist with 16 years' experience researching violence and sports, especially in ice hockey. And I understand the confusion that a lot of players and fans are experiencing at the moment. I teach modules on sports criminology and on homicide. While it's not necessary, it is common practice that a person whose actions lead to an unexpected death may be arrested in order for information to be gathered about an event and potentially for restrictions to be put in place, including staying in the country, while investigations are carried out. As with all unexpected deaths, this matter has been passed to the coroner who will fully investigate the case and pass judgment on evidence. This process can take months or even years to fully investigate. Importantly, an arrest does not equal guilt. Even a criminal charge does not equal guilt. We need to let the legal system run its course and avoid speculating
0: on sensationalized accounts. And all that is absolutely true. That's a good follow-up from yesterday. I also read Dr. Victoria Silverwood's Um did you see the addendum from Alexander Appleyard who's actually a writer for the Athletic in Philadelphia but has his law degree Oh yeah in the UK who who also, you know, further edified here and said um First of all, he's been released mm-hmm. on bail. Yes, as mm-hmm. you would expect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No charges brought at present time. And Apple Yard says, if they do charge him, which is by no means guaranteed, odds are it will be with constructive manslaughter, for which there needs to be, for which needs to be intentional, unlawful, lead a reason, reasonable person to realize other person at risk of physical harm be the cause of death. So says, my intuition is that it will be hard for police to charge him and have a good chance of success in court. It would have to be proven that Petgrave put his leg up that high on purpose with intent to harm. So it sounds like this is just procedural. But it's also, it does open, and all,
1: not all this stuff is, is well thought out and well reasoned, but the, at the end of the day, in sport, um, you do set aside everyday law. Um, a a cross-check, a slash in Mm -hmm. and of itself, is assault. You cannot walk down the street with a hockey stick and hit somebody. That's assault. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can break things down legally
0: on the ice, but uh, you could do that uh, with every act. So, I believe in a lot of jurisdictions the the test there is um, injury or catastrophic injury. Like, for example, McSorley taking a stick to Brashier's head yeah. and knocking out cold on it—like that's something you can't consent to as a hockey player. You know, that's something that if the police look at it and say, "No," is it above th- that, and beyond? That, that's above and beyond. Yeah. That crosses the line for us. Um, different jurisdictions will have different standards there, of course. But um, I, I'll say this: yesterday, I, I wondered whether it was just the U.K.'s fluency with hockey at play here. Jerry, a listener, called me on it. I think it might just be our lack of fluency with U.K. procedure. Yeah, maybe. Legally, that's at play here. And Then lastly for me, did you see that Rory McIlroy resigned from the Players Uh, Advisory Board at Kyle Porter CBS? The timing of Rory's resignation is pretty intriguing. He's been adamant recently that the PIF's involvement—this is the Saudi fund— is the best path, but also still exasperated by Liv's existence. Total speculation, but it makes me wonder if he was in a spot where, because of the way negotiations are going, he was going to have to accept uh, voting for PIF investment also meant voting for Liv continuation. Well, I, I, and the PGA Tour has announced that it plans to offer members an equity stake in the new for-profit entity, according to a memo that they have delivered to players. ESPN reports that the development comes following a board meeting yesterday, which directors, including Tiger Woods, attended at Ponte Vedra Beach. It's super
1: complicated. Uh, I I do not get why Liv will continue to exist.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I, get I don't get that. I don't get it either. Uh, outside of maybe there are good regal, legal reasons why they have to keep live around. All I know is Jay Monaghan has made mistake after mistake after mistake. Yeah. On this file, and if he emerges as the leader of all of this, that's not justice. Well, this guy has failed the tour and failed golf fans. Now, if they need to keep live going, if they want to keep that format alive
1: too, well, how about every five or six weeks you do a live event, and it'll be goofy. It'll have all the goofy live stuff. And if you if that's a way to sort of recoup some investment into it already and to keep the brand alive, do that. And then those that aren't a part of live just skip over that week. And they, you know, guys skip weeks all the time. Mm-hmm. But to have it as direct competition, what you you're you're well, you're I, in both I, places I, at once.
0: Yeah, I. I can. Doesn't make any sense. All I know is um, clocks ticking on this one. Yeah. And that's hashtags for today. One of the things we were very excited about when we forged our partnership with the nation network was the ability to work more closely more hand in hand with some of their fantastic content producers and one of them joins us now from the athletic and Canucks conversation our old friend harmon dial how are you hey harm
3: doing great guys how are you
0: yeah fantastic great to see you great to hear your voice all those things uh i've been following your work and uh, let's start with the sustainability of this Vancouver Canucks team. This is a recent article that you've written on The Athletic. Of course, fantastic shape right now through the first 15 games of the season. The underlying metrics weren't exactly pointing towards this degree of success. 11-3-1-15, and through Harm. How sustainable is this for the Vancouver Canucks?
3: Well, obviously they're going to cool off at some point, but they've built up such a cushion for themselves with this start that, I would be surprised, especially when you look at some of the actual substance behind the start uh, factors, such as the power play, um, the improved defensive play at five on five, um, how talented their goaltending tandem is, the star, star power they have at the top of their lineup. I would be surprised if the bottom sort of falls out and we have some sort of collapse here. I'm expecting this to be a playoff team. Uh, again, the, the thing to keep in mind is I'd be more concerned about PDO and some of these metrics that point to, okay, the Canucks have been lucky if they were squeaking out th- a bunch of 3-2 wins and they were winning by the by you know the scruff of their neck, but they've been blowing teams out. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind is when you look at their PDO uh, and you take away the some of the blowout wins they've had, the 10-1, 10-1 Sharks, a couple against the Oilers, 5-0 against St. Louis, um, if you remove those games entirely, they still have a really good record and their PDO all of a sudden is inflated, but it's not 107 or 108. Um, something that would be totally alarming. So um, when I look at this team, I, I really do think that even though they're going to cool down, um, I, I still see a lot of positive signs, and I expect, again, them to to make the playoffs, especially when you look at how many other teams in the West have um, have had a tough start. Obviously Edmonton, Calgary, Seattle, um, even in the central team that may have been competing for a wildcard spot, uh, a club like the Minnesota Wild have been off to a really uh, tough start. So especially in the NHL where, Even with losses, as long as you force them to overtime or shootout, you can um, still pick up points. It's tough for teams behind you to make up ground. And we saw that during um, the Canucks' Boudreaux era where Boudreaux took over and it just felt like the Canucks were perpetually, no matter how much they won, sort of stuck in that three to six points, three to seven points outside the playoff bar and they just couldn't gain ground. And the Canucks are on the reverse side of that now where they've got the cushion and uh, they've got a lot of teams that, even though there's a bunch of hockey still to be played, a lot of distance to make up.
0: Yeah, I almost forget what overtime is like with the Vancouver. Uh, they've only gone there once, 11 regulation wins out of, of the 11 they have. And defensively, too, Harm,
1: those those big blow games um, sort of show their stats improperly, too, because the score effects there is, you know, they, they get into prevent defense when you're up three goals. And like the Sharks outshot them. <laughs> you know, in a 10-1 loss. They have, so, you know, the, the stats are going to really be hard to nail down here given the scorelines that the Canucks have
3: put up this season. Absolutely. And the other thing to keep in mind is I've seen a lot of people reference the Canucks' subpar ability to control 5 and 5 expected goals. Uh, and that's fair enough. But you look at the other side of the coin, their ability to control 5 and 5 shot volume, I was looking at it the other day. They're 10th in the NHL, guys. That's legitimately good and, and usually there isn't such a wide disparity between controlling shot volume and expected goals but that's sort of what happens sometimes when you have such a small sample and while i've seen a lot of you know sort of national analysts uh outside of vancouver pointing to oh, the expected goals are a red flag i don't see nearly enough sort of credit for well the 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 other side of the coin in terms of how they're at least controlling shots possession uh, territorial control there are some legitimately positive um indicators there and the other thing to keep in mind is when I did this uh, piece looking under the hood of the Canucks to start about a week ago I looked at teams that got off to a hot start um, had a really high PDO through the first 11 to 12 games and um, had a tough time controlling expected goals and the overwhelming majority of them still ended up making the playoffs so again it just sort of goes to show that um, yes there are a couple metrics that may point to they've you know they've been they've had some bounces go their way, but I I still believe that this is a good hockey. Team.
0: Yeah, no, we talked about it last week. Uh, these sorts of starts, very few teams have screwed it up from here. How concerned should they be with the Carson Susi injury and how that relates to sustaining this start?
3: Yeah, Susi's been dependable for them, and you know I'm curious to see how Kita Hirose sort of looks because. Looked positive down the stretch last um, last season for the few games that he got into, and then in training camp preseason, honest, honestly, he impressed me. I thought he cleanly outplayed Christian Wolanin. Uh and this is a player that we don't have um, you know a ton of um, ton to read on in terms of a, a history of a, a pro resume. So it could go either way here. I think where the Canucks will miss Susie the most is the penalty kill, where his size and reach has uh, played an instrumental role. I think. Um, his size and shutdown ability holding leads in the third period is going to be an area where even though i like harose's puck moving i like his uh hockey iq um, it's just not the same he is slight he is a little undersized so that's an area to sort of keep uh keep an eye on um, look at stings but the other thing to keep in mind is susie hasn't been playing top four minutes it's not as if he's been playing the toughest matchups on this blue line and uh, what i look at now is I'd like to continue to see Philip Ronick, for example, get back to the level that he has been for most of the season. I think um, over the last couple of games in Toronto and Montreal, I thought he's looked a little shakier than usual. Um, you know, some defensive miscues, not moving the puck as cleanly in the Toronto game, for example, the Hughes Ronick pair got uh, dinged for a couple five and five goals against. I think it's going to come down to, again, can Hughes and Ronick maintain what they've shown us for most of the season, which has been dominant form? And I think as long as that holds up, that the Canucks can weather um, the storm of a Susie injury so long as it's not um, too, too long.
1: No counting stats for Hirose at the AHL level, um, and and not that he's a um, a, a high octane offensive defenseman, but you just think for a puck mover, you'd accidentally get second assists in some in some way, shape, or form. It's only eleven games, smaller sample there, but are you surprised that that didn't happen for him down there?
3: A little bit surprised, especially because you looked at you looked at him at the Penticton Young Stars tournament, for example, and I know he's it's uh, it was a bit of a stretch to call him. Uh, you know, uh, a a prospect at that point, considering he's already 23 or 24, Uh, but he was racking up points um, with ease. And obviously that hasn't quite translated yet, but coming into the NHL, that's not, that's not his job, right? He's not going to be expected to um, play a second unit power play. Uh, The Canucks don't need offense from him. They just need steady puck moving. They need um, him to use his quickness and IQ to anticipate plays in the defensive zone early so that um, he's able to make stops and ensure that his pair isn't caught down low in the in the defensive zone on those heavy cycle shifts where that's when maybe his size and inexperience could be um, a bit more of a, a bit more of a challenge. So yeah, a little bit surprised that he hasn't had um, huge counting stats so far. But it's as it pertains to how his play will translate at the NHL level, it doesn't concern me one bit.
1: In terms of fortifying the blue line on a broader scale, of course, uh, the Calgary Flames have the potential for a uh, Black Friday sale coming up here. Um, Everybody knows Chris Tanev. Everybody loves Chris Tanev. Everybody kind of wants Chris Tanev. um, But might there be a different kind of player available in Nikita Zadorov that is equally as intriguing how do you rank the two possibilities for the Canucks and and where to spend assets if they're going to spend assets and they'll have to spend assets for either of those two defensemen what what
3: makes the most sense for the Canucks yeah so Zdorov's a good player but the concern I have is he's a left shot and you look at the Canucks' blue line right now once Susie returns you're already kind of sat there with Hughes, Cole and and Susie which means that for this fit to make any sense the coaching staff would have to first of all be comfortable playing a left shot defenseman on the right side which they've been really reluctant to do so far I mean think about it guys going through training camp of preseason the Canucks were giving extended looks to Noah Juleson and Cole McWard on that top pair next to Quinn Hughes before eventually slotting Hironic there and acquiring Mark Friedman and that was just to sort of maintain the lefty righty balance so right off the bat That sort of um, concerns me just in terms of a a logistical fit. Uh, And then secondly, I think there's a broader conversation about are the Canucks at a point this early where they should be spending assets for um, for a rental defenseman? They're already without their second round pick this year. They're already without their third round pick the year after. I think what a lot of people would like to perhaps see is, Okay, if you're going to. go out go out and spend assets for a player you want it to ideally be a long-term fit somebody who can help for multiple seasons and people have brought up that hey cole's only signed for this season he's on an expiring contract so could zadorov slot in as a second pair piece beyond this season and there's some legitimate merit legit merit to that idea but the concern i'd have or at least the question mark i'd have is that zadorov already makes 3.75 million which means his next contract is is going to be pretty lucrative, especially considering how sort of um unique his size and, and physicality combination is. And yet you look at his last couple seasons, he's predominantly been used in a third pair role. Now Calgary's blue line is is really deep and that's partly why. But this is a player that hasn't been hasn't proven himself yet to be a top four driver. He played tougher sort of high leverage minutes for one year in chicago the 2021 season and there were mixed results and chicago dealt him at the end of that season um spent another couple of seasons in between 2016 and 2018 um during colorado's leanest rebuild years in that type of role and again mixed results and that's not to say that zadorov can't be an effective top four defenseman but he hasn't proven himself um and given you know that definitive evidence yet and when you when you consider that Canucks already have Carson Soucy, who's in a similar boat as a number four or five defenseman, um, who hasn't proven himself um, in tough top four matchups, um, you know it. Especially considering how tight the Canucks are up uh, up against the cap, when I think about potentially handing out a, another lucrative contract on the blue line, I'd prefer it to be for a top four righty. And if it must be a left uh, must be a lefty, I'd prefer it to to be for a player who has. Um, higher top four ceiling than Zadorov.
0: yeah I mean he'll be 29 in free agency like you think he gets a four or five year deal something like that harm
3: potentially especially sort of depends on how much the cap goes up how many teams have that cap flexibility um, how the defense market obviously shakes out Uh, but considering his unique physical traits I think this is a player that will be pretty highly sought after and again this is already a guy that is making 3.75. So it's not as if right. the cap hit is going to be cheap either. So um, it just seems like a contract that is is going to be pretty hefty. And uh, for a Canucks team that already has options on the left side of uh, of their blue line, I'm just not sure that it's the best fit, even though, again, I, I really like the player. Yeah, now, He what made about,
1: a lot of noise on Tuesday night's game, yeah, too. Yeah, he, he knows, he he knows, he's, got he knows he's being
3: watched right yeah. now. What about Tana Farm? So Tanev would obviously be, I think, a much better logistical fit. The acquisition cost is just the biggest question mark, guys. Uh, I, I think, again, is it a rental? Um, is there a fit beyond the season? He's going to be turning 34 pretty soon. Uh, he isn't quite the same player that he was during his first couple of seasons in Calgary, still effectively able to hold down a, a top four role. Um, but again, to me, look, if, if we get to July 1st, and we're at a point where Taneb's available, and the the term he isn't looking for you know a three four year deal. Then at that point, I think the fit makes a ton of sense, especially given his familiarity, his skill set, his handedness. Uh, but you know, to pay the price to get ahead of it when you don't have certainty about whether you'd be able to re-sign him right away. Um, I think I'd need to see more from this team. I think this team would need to prove that, okay, they're not just a playoff team, but this is a team that is ready to actually make some noise if, and when they you know do get in, um, they have to prove themselves as a, as a contender. And that's another sort of step up um, for me in terms of what this team would have to sort of show over the next um, 20, 25 games. Because again, I, I think you would have to view this team as a contender to justify giving up um, valuable future assets for a rental year.
0: Uh, lastly, we'll ask you our poll question here. Most likely to be in the Canucks ring of honor. And I don't know if you're a big ring or a small ring guy, Harm, but Miller, Horvat, neither, or or both, where would you cast your vote?
3: Yeah, I'm a small ring type of guy. Personally, I tend to be a little bit more selective. Um, I don't think Bo's done enough, personally. I, I, I think he... Was a solid second line center for many years here, um, but especially given the lack of team success, which isn't isn't really on him, but just feels like there there weren't enough big moments. Um, he wasn't enough of a sort of um, you know high end uh, elite player, um, and, and nor was he here for for long enough. Right, this isn't a player that spent his entire career here, so no for him for JT. That's still to be determined. I, I don't think he's quite done enough yet, but this is a player that's been, I mean, since he's joined among the NHL's point leaders uh, and considering the term left on left on his deal, he's going to be here for a really long time. So um, given how many years are still to go, he's going to really climb up the franchise leaderboard in a lot of statistical categories. And especially if this team can start to get some success and get headed in the right trajectory, I think Miller for him, the ring of honor is definitely, uh, feasible. It's definitely realistic for him to, for him to get there. If he can, um, sort of maintain the type of, uh, level that he's shown over the last few years in Vancouver for, you know, a handful more. Mm-hmm.
0: And of course, especially if they, uh, do get that elusive team success going forward, yep. uh, Harmon, fantastic stuff. My friend, uh, good to hear your voice again. We'll catch up soon. Thank you guys. This is Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us seven seven eight four zero two ninety six eighty. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Results from yesterday's poll question. We asked you, did the Bohorvat trade start the Canucks turnaround? Yes or no? What did the people say, Blake? Uh, well...
1: Interpretation of the question is going to play a role here. So, Big one, yeah.
0: um, I'm going to say they said no. They said yes. Oh. Seventy yeah. percent said yes. And you and I both interpreted the question differently. I looked at it in terms of what was the biggest factor in the Canucks turnaround and what had the most gravity. tasks. You looked at it simply in terms of a continuum, timeline-wise. Was that the first and process? so you voted yeah. yes, and I voted no. Surrey Ryan, no, it was the coaching staff. There was no so-called rift in the locker room. The rift with Bo and management, J.R. and Alvin, made their choice loud and clear when Miller was extended, period. Um, Kyle says Bruce's last game was the low, low point. I mean, I suppose you could say things started turning around from there. I don't think rock bottom is the start of anything, though. Although, eh, yeah, yeah. Eh, I guess you could make that argument, yeah. David said, yep, it changed the culture of the room. Talking is a big part as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ben on Burke Mountain says firing Benning was the start of the turnaround. And there's a timeline. There's a yeah. timeline element there yeah. as well. Although, the um, while the results were pretty good in the immediate aftermath of that, they continued to be poor for a longer stretch of time thereafter. Mm-hmm. 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 I like what you said yesterday. New conversations. Isn't it fantastic to have new conversations with this team and this organization? Because for years, if I had a nickel for every time a listener sent us the definition of insanity, do you remember this, Blake? Yeah. How often we would see this? Almost daily yeah. in the feedback channels. they saw management doing the same thing because over and over again. Management was doing the same thing over and over again, anticipating different results. E's and O's from yesterday's program. Um, Grady advises that we probably should have asked John Shannon about Alex McGillney to the Hall of Fame. His 15 years of eligibility next go, year. Go listen to last year's hit. Because <laughs> we asked him then. <laughs> Sergey Gonchar, too. Gonchar is um, because, you know, the first-year class next year, much like this year, isn't particularly the strongest. I mean, don't get me wrong, Datsuk, Weber, Kovalchuk, Ryan Miller, these are good players, but are they... Datsuk for sure. Datsuk.
1: Datsuk. <laughs> Slam dunk. The others mm-hmm. are again. Do you mm-hmm. want do you want v- amazing players in there, or do you right. want spectacular players it, it in there? Really is the a
0: small hall, big hall line. It is, uh, and we all know the choice that has been made by the Hall of Fame selection committee, and that is they want a big hall. Yeah, yeah. They're true. okay with the very good being enshrined in their Hall of Excellence, like like, or what many of us would deem the very good.
1: Yeah, I mean, an eight hundred point defenseman is pretty good for. Uh, you yeah, know, no, for I Gaunchar. mean, if
0: if, if uh, Gonchar. Frankly, Ann Weber, got in. I would not bat an eyelash because I know the standard that they have employed. In fact, I, I I don't think they would be the cases that I would take the most issue with. And for all, it's funny, like in my
1: mind's eye, Ilya Kovalchuk, mm-hmm. just one of the great goal scorers of his generation, four hundred forty three goals. Yeah. Not even 500. Not even a 500-goal score. No. So the answer is emphatically no for me. Well, how many points? Like 876 or something like In that. In how many games? Uh, below a point per game, 876 and, eight, and 926. Yeah. The answer is no. Because like, he didn't provide anything else. He was just an offensive right. juggernaut. So. I mean, how many playoff
0: games did he play, for God's sakes? So for
1: by that, 40 playoff games. The mm-hmm. answer is no for, on Ilya Kovalchuk.
0: <laughs> also, you... Um on the weber candidacy said everybody but steve Duchesne w- above him. above him in goals but we kevin hatcher brent burns who is still active so who knows we're he's pretty high up so he burns his, uh, i would suspect burns will probably yeah get in um and mons doug mons doug M- yeah don't know East Nose within the body of East (laughs) Nose. Time for the Betway bets of the day. Look, the second and fourth quarters are the so-called long quarters in the CFL, the three-minute warnings in both, and the likelihood of team timeouts in those quarters. But if you think Winnipeg is going to blow out the Alouettes early and then maybe take the foot off the gas a little bit, first quarter is highest scoring quarter Sunday. Goes off at 7.50 on your Betway bet of the day. I'm going to uh, the
1: international window in soccer. Um, Slovakia versus Iceland. Uh, Iceland's playing for for their people at home. Their very island is at risk right now with the volcano. I'm afraid they're going to have to leave the fishes and the lizards behind. Do your Google homework. Oh, my God. My favorite thing on the Internet right now. They went back for the dogs. What about the, What about the animals? So we got the horses and the dogs. Anyway, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Go look it up. <laughs> it's but amazing.
0: The and the fishes.
1: If you're a fish in Iceland, you might be in trouble. Anyway, Iceland's playing for their people right now at risk of the volcano. 450 to take down Slovakia.
0: Must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social that's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.